Season one of Watch With You is made possible by the support of Barry from Podcast in Color. Thank you, Barry. Hi, Watchers. It's Lady D here again with Lady H for another episode of Watch With You podcast. Oh, am I am I on? Yeah. Yes, I'm here. Hi. <laughs> so Lady H was a little behind, but that's okay. And we have a special guest again. She has joined us to talk about Bridgerton and is back to grace us with her presence to talk today about Hamilton. We have Lady A. Hello, hello, everybody. <laughs> if you've listened to our Bridgerton podcast, you know Lady A is my cousin. And she is into all things romance and is in, in love with Bridgerton and wants to talk about other castings and other shows of romance and Black castings. So, Lady A, can you tell everybody what's been going on with you? Absolutely. Hello, hello, everybody. Um, yes, I am Lady D's cousin, my girl. Um, I have been working a lot. I work um, a lot at the Q, um, as I lovingly call it, QVC in Westchester. Uh, so that's been keeping me busy as we go into the summer season. But I've also been preparing um, acting-wise for pilot season, and commercial season, um, a lot of stuff happening going into the summer, a lot of opportunities. So trying to prepare uh, audition wise for that. Um, and then, you know, trying to enjoy some of this warm weather. We had a rough winter here on the East Coast. So I'm trying to enjoy this 80 and 90 degree weather that we've got coming up. Um, so I've really been loving that as well. Well, good for you because the 80, 90 degree weather tried to take me out yesterday. So not take you out. <laughs> sure did. It was the, the little niece's joint birthday party, and I almost passed the heck out. It wasn't even that hot yesterday. So dramatic. <laughs> I know. Not normally me, though. <laughs> I say bring it on. That snow almost took me out, y'all. We didn't even have that much snow. It snowed every weekend, but let's get to the topics. Okay. Lady H? Yes. Okay. So we are here today to talk Hamilton. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, Lady H and her producer creds comes up with our topics of discussion. Mm -hmm. And she decided that Hamilton needed to be discussed and it's colorblind casting. Oh, it's not colorblind. It's color conscious. Okay. Color conscious. Yeah. Color conscious and colorblind. I mean, I'm glad you brought that up. It is an impact of Hamilton. So one of the reasons why we chose to talk about Hamilton is number one, if you listen to some of the earlier episodes, it was you that brought up Hamilton in terms of period pieces. And uh, unfortunately, we haven't really been focusing on America the way that we should. And that is not necessarily a failing of us as it is. There's not a dearth of material available for us to talk about in terms of romantic period pieces. The reason why we are talking about Hamilton today is for two reasons. If it wasn't for Hamilton and their color conscious casting, I don't think that we would have had a Mr. Malcolm's List or a Bridgerton with the casting that it was. Secondly, we're talking Bridgerton 
the shorthand for Hamilton has entered the zeitgeist where when we talked about Bridgerton season two, some of the critique I saw was, oh, well, it's just satisfied, which is the show, one of the showstoppers from Hamilton. We're going to start today by guests first. What is your experience with Hamilton and five years post, has Hamilton stood the test of time for you? Wow, wow, wow. That is an excellent question. Um, I'm going to say that Hamilton is my problematic fave, y'all, okay? Um, I actually, uh, as a performer, you guys know I'm a vocalist, I'm an artist, I'm an actress. I actually auditioned uh, for Hamilton. I went to New York, um, stood in line for about five hours in the rain, y'all, um, and went and auditioned. I did not get cast, obviously, but I auditioned. And so I have a special place in my heart for Hamilton. You know, Broadway has had obviously such a legacy, um, but it has had a lot of criticisms for being very white, very straight, very white. And so Hamilton was really something new and exciting, not only for obviously the material and the songs, um, the platform and the, the artistry of rap, um, but also because of so many Black and other people of color being on stage at one time and uh, being the focus of the show. That was something that really Broadway has not seen in its history. Uh, and so for that, I was extremely excited and, and, and still revere you know, Hamilton in that way. Now, um, when we talk about the... I guess the subject material of what Hamilton is, um, the characters who are not necessarily characters, they're, they're real people, you know, that are being portrayed um, and that being portrayed by descendants of slavery, you know, that's where I think it does get dicey. That's where I think there are legitimate criticisms because we know that some of the people that are portrayed in Hamilton were indeed slave owners. We know that for a fact, um, committed atrocities in that way. One thing that always, why I always have to say Hamilton is my problematic fave is because um, there are a lot of lines and references um, to Jefferson and, and Sally Hemings' um, relationship, which was not consensual, of course, because we know Miss Sally Hemings was not of age um, and not of position in society to consent to anything. Um, and there are, are several references throughout Hamilton to that relationship. So um, that's not great. <laughs> so that's why I refer to Hamilton as my problematic babe. The music for me, it's incredible. It's timeless. It's one of the best shows that I feel like I've ever seen. Um, I definitely felt represented. As I said, I auditioned for the show, but there are definitely parts of Hamilton. And if you think about it, maybe Hamilton in, in general, as far as using brown and black people to portray these people in our in our history as a country, um, you know, as Americans that would have enslaved our ancestors in the past, you know, it, it gets dicey. So it's it's something that definitely will get you talking. But for me, um, I love Hamilton, y'all. I really do. I love the music. I love seeing that black excellence on stage. So you know, I'm I'm here, there, and everywhere when it comes to Hamilton. What about you, Lady D? Well, I think Lady A said a said it all and a, a whole lot more. Um, 
I thoroughly enjoy Hamilton. Um, I enjoy seeing people that look like myself and some of my friends and other family members. Um, the lyrics to most of the music, as Lady A says, references the history of the United States, some as recognition of what was done, some as um, a way to reconcile the beauty of uh, Hamilton, the, the musical, with the atrocities of what happened. Um, so, you know, if you're watching Hamilton on Disney Plus, then you hear the ooze at some of the lines or the, you know, that are the jabs. Um, but thoroughly, you know, and also one of the reasons we know we enjoyed it and watched it is because Renee Elise Goldsberry is in the first run and she's one of our faves. We've gone to see her multiple times on Broadway. So the lyrics, the music, the acting, the story, it's all very good. And, and Lady A took us to the history lesson, so I won't repeat it. Damn, because I am. <laughs> um, Hamilton premiered on Broadway during the 2015-2016 season. We had a different America at that time. Oof, and, yes, we did. And so we were very much under the administration of hope. And I think, and also in that season, um, there was some other interesting things because Lady A, you talked about Broadway being the great white way and also the great straight white way, which is also interesting when you think about who comprises Broadway. But um, that season was one of the most racially diverse seasons because Playing at that time uh, was Gloria Estefan's biomusical On Your Feet, the George Takai-inspired show Allegiance, and um, they also had Waitress that was the first ever Broadway musical with an all-female creative team, and Spring Awakening came back, and they performed the show simultaneously in American Sign Language, and then you also had Shuffle Along, a little later in the season. And uh, that Come was- on, Lady H with the history, yes. My daddy was a musician and a music teacher. <laughs> you talk about some broad, Black Broadway, woo, we can talk. Yes, and, I'll be one. And also that was the premiere of Jennifer Hudson, Cynthia Revo, and Danielle Brooks for Color Purple. So we were there and I think that a lot of it, you know, Hamilton came on, sucked out all the air in the room, but there was definitely a shift in diversity with differing ways. And when it comes to Hamilton, I think that it is the great American story. It's complicated, it's messy, and at the root of it is white supremacy. That's me. Mm. There's a there's a lot of things written about Hamilton, so I'm not going to like go deep, deep. Y'all can read it. We're going to just talk about one critique. But for me, the reason why I say that is because you're taking black bodies and brown bodies and you're putting them on stage in the work of historical fiction because, yes, this was based on a book by Rob Chernow. Yes, there's historical documents. But to say that, that he and like, uh, Lafayette and these other people are running around town like the Three Musketeers and whoring it up. 
we don't know. Yes, he was a whore, but we don't know all of their conversations. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? We're like, we don't know. So this is an imagination or speculative fiction of what happened during the American Revolution. I seriously doubt that King George was Molly Whopping uh, or whatever it was he was doing. But I mean, I'm not saying he wasn't going to dance on my graves. The whole entire point is it was produced in such a way where Lin-Manuel Miranda used, he did a creolization of American music art forms to express oppression, which is why he needed rap. But what it did was it allowed white people to appropriate black black and brown voices of liberation of oppression to their pain from the British. Wow. That's the white supremacy. Every once in a while, this PhD comes out to bite you, y'all. No, I'm teasing. (laughs) Honey, you on it. On it. So, I mean, but it, but it's still beautiful, right? So they it, even through the issues, there is beauty in it and some of the lasting impacts. So number one, Hamilton received a Pulitzer Prize. It received all these Tonys. Because of the sheer number of Black and brown bodies on a stage, it increased the people who were nominated for Tony Awards. Lady D mentioned uh, Renee Elise Goldsberry, who did win a Tony for her portrayal of Angelica Schuyler. Brilliant, brilliant performer. Absolutely. But let's talk about what she's doing now, right? She's going to be in She-Hulk. She was in Girls 5 Ever. She was in Ultra Carbon, which is your show. My face! You know, so she has had opportunity. Now, we know her from Evangeline Williamson (laughs) from One Life to Live, but she has other opportunities now, not necessarily on Broadway, but other singing and opportunities. Lin-Manuel Miranda is Lin-Manuel Miranda. But then you think of someone like David Diggs, who I've seen. Uh, he's on Snowpiercer. He's also done a recurring role on Blackish. Leslie Odom, who's my kid too's fave, like he loves him. Love him. He is just great. Oh, me, him as Sam Cooke, which was another historical reimagining of a conversation under the helm of Regina King, whom I love as well. But it's like some of these people, I won't go down a list, but they've had other opportunities, not necessarily on Broadway, which I also think is interesting. But they were able to use, uh, to get a platform and to be seen and to be political with it and they might not have had that opportunity otherwise. So Hamilton, in casting Black and Brown people, gave them that opportunity. And even though um, one of the reasons why I said Lady D, like, oh, it's not color blind casting, is because they got in trouble with their notices asking for non-white people other than the king. And some people were like, "Uh, you can't do this. This is reverse racism and they said we're not going to change the casting but we will change the wording but let me tell y'all okay Mm -hmm. from a performer standpoint i love that you brought that up lady h you are literally right on it let me tell y'all how casting breaks down from a performer standpoint okay um i thought that was so interesting when white people, white identifying people were so upset with um, the specifics of the Hamilton casting because 
you look at a casting, okay, um, they'll have a breakdown, all right, y'all, for for all the lead roles. And it will say George, Caucasian, 50s, father, X, Y, Z, explaining George. And then it'll say Tracy, 40s, Caucasian. And all you'll go down and down this list of all this casting, okay? Every single lead role will specify and say Caucasian, okay? This is not new. This is not out of the blue. It will say this for many, many castings. And then when you get to uh, background, when you get to the sister's brother's friend from the school across the town, okay, that's when it'll say all oh, ethnicities. <laughs> so it's fine for black and brown and other people of color to be in the background, be the person from across the street, okay? But all the lead <laughs> roles will say Caucasian and they will specify that. And this is, I'm not saying that's every casting ever, but I'm saying that is very common. Okay, so to see something like Hamilton, where the casting specifically says lead roles and we want black and brown people in these roles, that's new, y'all. That's very, very new. Um, well, the fact that they were mad that it actually said we want people other than white people is uh, preposterous because you clearly, based on you telling us from your experience as an actor, that the casting says exactly what they want. So Hamilton wanted non-white people, but it's okay to say it for your regular casting. Yep, we want white folk for these lead roles, but it's not okay to say we only want, you know, people of color for these lead roles. So let me ask you a question, Lady D and Lady A. Do you think that that issue came because Hamilton was a phenomenon and then they felt left out. Like, how dare you leave us out of this phenomenon? Of course, because 100%. Anything, <laughs> <laughs> Cause anything that they, white folks can't get in on and have the proceeds of, you know, they're feeling that we're trying to take something away from them. Not the fact that they've taken things away from us for 400 plus years, you know, and we're just having a little bit of what they have, but they want it all. All, all, all. I also think it's an issue of white people have been taught and it's been ingrained that they are the default. They are always the ones that um, are wanted, needed, looked to. And that's in every aspect of life, including, of course, the entertainment world. So I think that it really threw folks for a loop that in this show, for this thing, um, even though, of course, when it first started, it was a small thing, that they were not the default, that they were going to be the ones relegated to the background, the ensemble, etc. And that was a very hard switch that many had a problem with because they're used to being out in front. They're used to being the ones that are wanted and needed and in the, in the front and not in the background. Well, when she's saying they're mentioning that they were the default and that they're always you know, what we're after, but no, they're not what everyone is always after because they're constantly stealing from people of color, our cultures, you know, our traditions and bringing it to the forefront just because they have the avenues to do it, but they're always stealing. Let me sit my tea job. Let's see. And so we had like two different lanes that we got to go through based on that. And 
we're having this discussion because like I said, this came out in 2015, 2016. And one of the things that it showed, it was proof positive that people can not only accept, but want and need and like, but definitely I'll stay with accept, people of color in period pieces. Like it will make you money. And white people, the default, will still hunger for it, will still attend. If you have us in the room, it's not going to do anything but make it better. Hamilton proves that, which is why we start talking about different castings. And, you know, like when Bridgerton first came out, some of the things that I saw was that they likened it to Hamilton casting because this is a period piece where historical figure-ish, but it's historical fantasy. So Bridgerton took a line and said, our queen, Charlotte, is going to be Black. There has been speculation that she is or she isn't. We're going to come down on the side that she is. Because what difference is it when you come down on the side that she isn't? So y'all normally say she isn't. We're going to say she is. And let's move from there. But there's still this pushback of, well, there were no Black Dukes. There were no uh, Indian people in the peerage. Like, this is ridiculous. But yet they still could accept George Washington as a biracial man or a mixed race man or Thomas Jefferson as a mixed race man. That was no problem. But to have a mixed race Duke, oh, no, 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 no. We can't have that. And so I- I'm trying to understand really why if Hamilton was this worldwide success. There are some critiques. We will get to it. But widely accepted for its multicultural casting, why we are still having the same conversations about what is or isn't or what could or can't be. Like, shouldn't we have worked it out in 2015, 2016 instead of 2022? Of course not. You want to know why? Yes. The problem with Bridgerton is it's royalty. People of color are not supposed to be royalty in white people's eyes, whether that's white American, white UK, white Australia. We're not supposed to be royalty. We're not supposed to be put on a pedestal. It's only supposed to be white folks. They're supposed to only be the only royalty that exists. So the fact that Thomas Jefferson and Hamilton and everybody else were played by mixed race or white presenting Hispanics isn't a problem because we weren't royalty over here in the U.S. We're just supposed to be regular people that got in position. You better get your justice for Meghan Markle's speech on, girl. Lady D is our royalist. So you better cake for Meghan Markle. I agree with that, Lady D. I think you're, you're spot on. I think it's easier for folks to say, well, we know what uh, Hamilton and whatever, whatever looked like. And it's okay if we had a little biracials playing them. But when we're talking about the Royals, no, that's a that's a step too far, even though Bridgerton is fiction, y'all. I don't understand why they'd be so upset. These people aren't real, y'all. And there's a new one called Mr. Malcolm's List. Now, I want to say that I'm specifically not talking about Sanditon or Vanity Fair be- or Bell. Because the black women that are in those in those projects were written to be mixed race or black. Yes. 
-hmm. So that's that was never a concern. It is the casting of things that were written for white people or about white people that have now been casted consciously for people of color, like your Anne Boleyn, uh, which starred Jody Turner Smith. It could be Smith Turner, uh, Pacey's wife, but really, you know, like Miss Queen and Slim, her. And they they lost their mind because she is a real person in history and Boleyn. And then they chose a black woman consciously. Yes, I remember the up four. Mm-hmm. And but you also realize that they they're in that uproar, but they get in the uproar when we cast black people as white people, but then they don't understand why you can't cast white people as black people. That's always the one. But wait a minute. So we're going to act like vaudeville don't exist. I mean, the, the history of blackface. Hey, we're Hello. talking. About, well, we're talking. Well, look, remember, that was because black people weren't allowed to act and be on stage. So the only way to make black actors were to have white people do blackface. But now. Oh, of course, today, that makes it so much better. Hey, I, I look, look, look. I'm not saying it makes it better. I'm just saying, stating the historical fact. Now we're talking about today, they get in an uproar. You know, when we say you can't cast white folks as black historical figures, but they don't get it. And not just black, because you're right, because Scarlett Johansson, a ghost in a shell. Remember, like that was was Lady H. Talk about it. And she was white. And then she had the nerve to say, I should be able to play a tree if I want to. Well, a tree tree don't have a feeling of color. Look, I was going to say, Tree has no feelings, no um, historical makeup that has anything to do with being a non-living thing. That's what she said, though. And also, who was it? Emma Roberts? Emma Stone? Who also was cast? Mm -hmm. Emma Stone, who was also cast of a person of Asian descent. I mean, listen, white people have been putting on colored people's faces for years. I mean, West Side Story, which just got redone. Like the original Maria, Natalie Wood. Honey, and they did it. They, in our not face. Them, not them having read over Moreno and then not putting her in the lead role. What is going on? Okay. It, listen, so they, they they seem to magically, like you said, be the default and say, we can play all things because we have, we're humane and we understand the human experience. But also... What do they always want to come back and say to us? So that means we can have a white person be Black Panther in Wakanda. No, you can't. Not when that story is specifically for us. Oh, so Hamilton wasn't specifically for them? He on their $10 bill. Look, we all spend that. Look, look, look. We all spend that currency. It's for all of us. I'm just saying. You know what? One of the things in preparation for this that I thought was funny was before the (laughs) before the uh the hamilton play and the resurgence and this popularity of hamilton one of the unintended consequences was they were looking to remove him as the face of the ten dollar bill now he's so popular they can't do it and that's the reason why they say oh well we can put harriet tubman on the twenty dollar bill unintended consequence Hmm? well unintended consequence but guess what we hmm. deserve to be on the money just as w- much as anybody else. Oh, I got a problem with that. I don't know. Uh, I mean, you know, on money, capitalism well, is evil, girl. It is evil, li- but we have made just as many contributions to capitalism 
as the people that run the capitalism. Lady D, you're right. And Lady H, I think you're right, too. I think for me, um, you know, they always try to do these symbolic um, gestures instead of getting to the nitty gritty of the problem. And I think that's what's was my issue. Mm-hmm. Um, I would love for Harry mm-hmm. Tubman to be on the money. I, Harry Tubman was a badass. And I think that she deserves all the accolades and all the things that we can give her. But can we talk about uh, reparations? Can we talk about that instead of just slapping somebody's face on the money? Uh, Run us our check. Run us our check. uh, Giving us Juneteenth as a holiday. Now, wait a minute. People have fought very hard for that. And I love it. I celebrate it. I have for many years. But we need to get to the root of the problem. And that, for me, is what is always avoided. We do all these surface things and all these uh, symbolic type of gestures to try to pacify folks instead of actually getting to the root of the problem and fixing it from there. That is America's problem. Well, they're never going to run us our check because they're never going to admit their true um, indiscretions in history and admit to being wrong. They're just going to say, let's do this, let's do that. But we're never going to get a check to even admit that they were wrong. I agree with that. I'm usually not a cynic, but I actually agree with that. Um, But they need to run the check because um, it's in the trillions. Oh, I'm sorry. So you mean to tell me that that Juneteenth ice cream isn't going to be enough for you? Um, I'm afraid not, Lady for... H. I'm afraid right. not. Ain't nobody no. asked for that. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> First, oh, no, it's even worse because it's Juneteenth TM. Mm-hmm. Well, so nobody, asked for, nobody asked for some damn ice cream. And how about that already existed? That was, there was already a Black-owned company that had already done that. And what? y'all went and tried to trademark Juneteenth and then stole the woman's idea. But she, look, women, but she was selling it in your store. That was the part that was even the worst kicker. The disrespect. Well, so uh, all like, you had to do was promote her. No, no, because it's about ownership. It's about we need to own this thing that you Black people think you want. We have to take it flatten it and then make money of it that's part of capitalism being evil it's not about uplifting it's not about contributing it's not even even if they trademarked it and then said proceeds to this trademark will then go to you know fund different juneteenth celebrations around the country or something along those lines no It's for them to make money and if anybody else wants to use Juneteenth so that they have to pay Walmart. Right. Like, how are you? But how are you allowing a trademark of a holiday that belongs to one belongs to black folks, but two belongs to the entire country? You can't trademark a holiday. You just said it. Preposterous, preposterous. But you just said it. It's because it belongs to black people. You know, we ain't allowed to own nothing. In very small quantities. It gets appropriated. Everything Mm -hmm. we do gets appropriated, just much like this play. So we go back to, you know what? We might as well talk about the critique really quickly. When Toni Morrison, her work and and, and how she wrote as a Black woman about Black people for Black people and was really guided by the ancestors, understanding 
how the spirits remain understanding the ghostly hauntings of the past sins of America as they visited among Black people and how it has happened in the past, but that we are still haunted by the decisions of a Thomas Jefferson, of a George Washington, of an Alexander Hamilton and his financial elite financial systems today. That to have this play and darn near canonize these people who have done irreparable harm that we on to Black Americans, descendants of slaves, as we feel today, and then be portrayed by those people using their art forms was particularly disrespectful. So she funded a play. Uh, first of all, she said as much. And then she also funded a play uh, called The Haunting of Limel Miranda, which was written by Ishmael Reed. Now, essentially, it takes on the device of being visited on, on three ghosts. And they are the historical figures such as Harriet Tubman to talk about how this play ignores and disrespects the legacy of the actual Black people who were in the revolution at that time, who instead of them being lifted up for their contributions were co-opted into their their bodies or their their descendants co-opted into the bodies of white people and it wasn't it was received okay part of the problem was when people called them out on it and they did because so how you can't talk about hamilton how dare you talk about this show and uh historians who picked out uh historical inaccuracies were called nitpickers and i think that there's a lane for understanding that there is uh, inaccuracies. And then there's also the understanding of this is actually a work of fiction. So inaccuracies are allowed. But it was revealed that Ishmael Reed hadn't actually seen the play when he critiqued it, which sadly didn't give a lot of weight to his, I feel, very great criticism. So I'm going to just ask you to respond to that. If you looked at the criticisms of Hamilton, I know that Lady A, when you first talked about it, you said it, this is your problematic fave. But do those criticisms of with Toni Morrison or Ishmael Reed, do they shift your uh, experience with Hamilton and with other properties, such as a Mr. Malcolm's List, such as a Still Star Cross, such as a Bridgerton and in the present and possibly in the future. And then Lady D, the same question's going to you. Um, I'll start. Yeah. I so I think when I first heard about Hamilton, what the play was, um, who was again starring in the play, um, that they were they were rapping on stage primarily, um, of course singing as well. I was so excited. As a performer, I was just so excited. And and then I saw the play. Um, I saw the traveling cast and I was just really blown away. I mean, the play itself is phenomenal. It's one of the best plays, in my opinion, that Broadway has seen. Um, and so for me, that was my initial, I was just so excited. I was excited to see people like me on stage. I was excited that we were up here rapping. I was of course, I'm a fan of rap and hip hop, so I understood 
uh, different references, okay, that Lin-Manuel um, used, um, you know, lines and cadences from Biggie to put into the, I mean, it was just, it was phenomenal, right? That was my initial just, it was just fangirling all over the place, just spilling out, okay? Um, as time went on and I started to see um, some critiques both on Twitter, written articles, et cetera. Toni Morrison, of course, Ishmael's play. That made me think a little more critically about what was going on because at first it was just like, yes, Black people on Broadway, this is amazing. And I still think there's room for that. Um, but again, once I saw what was being written and I really, again, put my finger cap on, it was like, Okay, okay, let me look at this a little more critically. I understand where people are coming from. I think a lot of the critiques are valid, and that's why Lady H, I refer to it as my problematic fate. You know, those lines, and this, this, even though I was fangirling very hard, y'all, very hard. Um, when there's a <laughs> there's a line in um, I think it's what did I miss? Uh Thomas Jefferson, so Lafayette played by uh David Diggs, he he is all become come back and now he's Thomas Jefferson and you know Thomas Jefferson spent a lot of time in France and he's singing this song what did I miss and it's one of my favorites I love all the songs in Hamilton but that's one of particularly one of my favorites and he says Sally be a dear um and he's talking about bringing him something and it always made me cringe y'all it did even when I was fangirling because it was like nope we cannot refer to this relationship lovingly and in jest because it was statutory um, and it was not okay, even for that time. You know, I hate when people say, well, it was X, Y, Z time. It was wrong then too, and people knew it. Um, and that particular moment, it's a very small moment. People, some people may not even know what I'm talking about, but that always made me cringe. And there are several references to Sally Hemings throughout the show, but that's just one that always stood out for me. So I think that the criticisms are valid. I think that, you know, there's something to be said about, you know, again, these people who were, yes, very much slave owners, <laughs> um, very much inflicting pain on Black bodies. And now we've put them in a light because of the excellence of the actors in this show, where you kind of are looking at them, maybe lovingly is too strong, but you're not, you're not looking at them as white slave owners you're looking at them as like these kind of guys that you're oh and they started america and how fun i mean that's what happens when you portray them in this way and so yeah i think there's a problem there because then you're not thinking about what they actually did yes they started america and yes they started these systems and that part sure okay great but we also have to talk about their entirety and what they did as a whole, um, and that part gets sticky. So I think the criticisms, you know, I think they, you know, some people are like, you can't do this and just celebrate that there are black and brown people on stage and being celebrated and being highlighted. I think that part is amazing. I think that part um, is important. I think it did open a lot of doors for a lot of other projects to, to come through. Um, and that part is awesome, but, the other side of that that I've mentioned, I think, you know, that part is harmful. Problematic faith. And I just say that part of the harm is also in the actors, because if you watch the documentary uh, Hamilton's America 
And one of the things that they wanted to do was have the actor, Christopher Jackson, who played George Washington, and go to Monticello. And also, wait, is he on Monticello? Is that Thomas Jefferson? That's Jefferson. Yeah, Jefferson's on Monticello. So where's, what's George Washington's home? Mount Vernon. Mount Vernon. There we go. Money earning <laughs> Mount Vernon. There we go. So um, but to have him there, those, both of those people there, and then also places where have like Lin-Manuel Miranda visit the places of of Hamilton, where Hamilton dwelled, and the Schuyler sisters and the Schuyler home and stuff like that, to try to put these places back in their historical places, like these new actors who are embodying them and how they felt tension and saying, you know, I'm playing these roles and I'm trying to find ways to make them engaging. But Thomas Jefferson was a terrible person. But George Washington owned slaves. But the Schuyler sisters had slaves in their home. I think we forget the fact that that slavery was legal in New York and a lot of rich families had enslaved people. So Journal Truth was enslaved in New York by a Dutch family. I think people forget that. We always like to say that slavery happened in the South. No, slavery happened all over. So in America, well, in the world, but yeah, wasn't just in the South. Like didn't just happen at the Mason-Dixon line, y'all. So having that and saying like, there's that tension for me as a performer to embody this person who I know did harm in this world. And how do I resolve that? And they were struggling with it. So and that's an unintended consequence. Lady D. Well, a good actor, actress, you know, they put a in this case, they put away their feelings in order to pres- to play these characters. But everything in our history is problematic. I don't think that you can look to an in- any person in history to say that there were absolutely no problems. Uh, with what they have done in their lives. And you can be great and be problematic at the same time. So you can do great things and do things that are morally wrong. Um, But the moral conscience of the country and the world in 1776 wasn't that having slaves were wrong. And that doesn't make it right. It's just that's what that is the history. It was what it was. I don't know how we go back and we go, okay, well, they shouldn't have done it, which we do. We knew 100% should say they shouldn't have done it, but it doesn't change that that was the mentality. Just like there shouldn't have been Salem witch trials because we know that witches weren't putting hexes on entire towns and cities and, you know, burning them down. But our thought process and belief process was very flawed. Hell, it's still flawed today because people are up here using the Bible as a a bat for why we should treat LGBTQT plus people the way that we do. And nothing in the Bible actually really backs that. It's very hard to reconcile our history with our present and not talk about both in order to move forward. And I would say that one of the shows for our future um, season tries to make us recognize that we are better when we're diverse and looking and learning from each other is Star Trek. And that's been, you know, since the 60s, they've been saying that. 
And today they're still pushing back on it and calling it woke. And people who don't have the history of it are still saying that these castings are ridiculous and it's just insane. But there it is. Um, Is there anything else that you want to say about Hamilton before we move on to Satisfy? I think I'm good. How about you, Lady A? No, I think I'm good. I love Hamilton. Um, Like I said, I think the critiques are valid, but I love it. And it is so good. And I think that's what makes it hard to critique it because it is so freaking good. I'll say that um, I do have a lot of love for Hamilton. It was one of the songs that is on my dissertation playlist that I was listening to as I was writing. And one of the reasons why I kept going back to it was because it's like, how do you find beauty and diversity in a past that is twisted? And I was using that as a background, as a reminder that it can be done. Um, One of the things that I really appreciated also about Hamilton is that it is accessible in ways and that it is a musical that is completely sung. So you could stream it on Spotify or other places for free. And you won't get the same experience of seeing it with the dance moves and things of that nature, but in a costume, but you are able to experience it in a way that you cannot with, I'm going to get on my soapbox here, jukebox musicals, which I hate. I hate them with a passion because you're already familiar with the songs. So you have to know the story to understand the context of that song at that moment. But then they've also sucked the soul out of the song or the rock or whatever out of the song to make it, as I call it, Broadwayified. Don't like it. So having Hamilton come in at that time was definitely a breath of fresh air in terms of creativity and I still stand in that tension with you of as the opening line of or the scenes of Lovecraft Country, loving a thing that doesn't necessarily love you back, but finding the thing to love. And that's how I feel about Hamilton. Incredibly well said. Thank you. So now we have to talk about Satisfy. That is actually, now see, I'm biased because... It is a song sung mainly by Renee. That's right. So, but it's a, but it is also um, like literally one of the best songs in the show. I'm sorry. She, y'all just yeah. phenomenal. Absolutely. I mean, and it's like the showstopper. I, I think hands down that is a showstopper. I know that my shot is one everybody knows about and it's revisited no, several satisfied. times. <laughs> it's satisfied. All right. And so that is a song where I think has also became shorthand for Hamilton. We're in when Bridgerton season two came out and there is a love triangle between two sisters. People said, oh, it's satisfied. So Oh, 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 I mean, you come off of you just to go. Mm. <laughs> so does that mean you agree, girl? Disagree? Yes, I agree. I mean, that whole song is like, and it gets replayed in other parts of Hamilton is a whole pining over this man that you basically, you know, knew from, from your station in society, you really couldn't have, and you go on and marry someone else and you still pining over him. You go visit your sister and you pining over him. (sighs) It's a whole lot. 
you can't do that to your sister, but I'm sorry. It was messy and I enjoyed it. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. You can't do that to your sister, but you just spent your whole life pining over this man. That's her husband. What she did said. you introduce them to? What she <laughs> said, if you love him, you would share him. Well, but you know, her but her sister thought she was joking. You know that. Girl, I don't know what was going on in that Skylar household. No, I don't know that. <laughs> <laughs> You know, she really didn't think that she meant really share him, share him. Well, I mean, but she did marry a hoe. So, I mean, the Tomcat, I, I I don't know what she meant, but it de that definitely reminded me of, yes, there were some parts of our Bridgerton in their story that I agree with and some that I don't necessarily agree with. But Lady A, before we break it down, what sayeth you? Okay. I'm with you in that it is a complete showstopper. I remember watching Hamilton for the first time. Um, and as I said, I saw it live with the traveling cast. So I actually didn't get the opportunity to watch it um, on Broadway with the original cast because I could not get tickets like the rest of America. I mean, I entered that lottery like 11 times and I could not get tickets. Um, I did have the opportunity to see the traveling cast who were absolutely amazing and then of course i got to see the original cast on disney plus i will not reveal how many times i have watched <laughs> the show on disney plus my i made my husband watch it several times he now makes hamilton references because he has seen it so many times um <laughs> satisfied um, I covered Satisfied on uh, my Instagram for an event, kind of like an anniversary special or what have you, of Hamilton. It's one of absolutely my favorite shows, hands down, in the show. I love the artistry that's displayed in Satisfied. I think, you know, the song is incredibly difficult. Um, if you have ever tried to sing along, you realize how many words are just present in the song. She's going between rapping and singing, um, the breath control that's on display. I mean, I don't want to be boring with the kind of technical side, but the artistry and the skill that's on display in that song is really just top notch. Aside from kind of like the performance of it and the way it makes you feel. I mean, she's just up there giving it to us. And I think that just it, it gives... It gave, I think, Renee a chance to really show us, like, I do this. And I like that. I like when a performer can really show us the years of hard work and dedication to a craft. That's really exciting for me to see. Um, you know, there's an option at the end of the song that she has taken before that is just, guys, it's just, it blows my mind. It's just, it's just phenomenal. Um and like I said, I'm sorry, I am not messy in my personal life, but I like to see some mess on stage when it's not my mess. And um, <laughs> it's just, I like, I like that love triangle. I like the tension. I like it. It makes the play interesting. It makes it fun. Now, I did find out in real life because, of course, after I saw Hamilton, I had to look up everything. I had to see what was going on. I know it was historical fiction, so I wanted to see what part of the story was true and what was not, et cetera. Um, that, you know, Angelica Schuyler was actually married at the time. You know, in the play, she's not exactly when uh, Hamilton and Eliza get together, all that. But she was actually married when they met. But Lin-Manuel explained that that didn't really fit his vision. And so he just, you know 
took his took his artistry and said, nah, she's not gonna be married in my play. Not just yet anyway. Um, but yeah, Satisfied is everything to me. And Renee Elise Gorey, she's she's just, I mean, there aren't enough words. She's phenomenal. So I'm not gonna spring this on you now. This totally depends. Do you want to sing parts of it and analyze it? Or you're like, girl, I need to warm up and it is early in the morning. So no. Oh, so, okay. So I do need to warm up, but, um, you know, I think the best part of Satisfied, which everyone says, is the climax. Like, to your union. Like, ugh, guys, it just makes me so happy. In the hope that you provide, may you always be satisfied. It's just so good. Oh, it is. It, that is and thank you for that. Because, I mean, there's two stanzas. If you can have Total Recall, my God. Um, the two stanzas that I was thinking about so that I don't have to try to intersperse it in here and possibly get shut down and sued. Um, is not helpless because helpless is what leads her to satisfied Yes, and they get married. So uh, that is where Eliza falls in love with Alexander and Angelica as the big sister notices and realizes that even though she met him first, she cannot have him because she, and this is the wrapping. Uh, so that's the first stanza. Well, you know, I'm, I'm looking it up. Okay, number one, I'm a girl in the world in which that part, my job is to marry rich. So that stanza. Um, and then the next one is that I think we should break down is number three. I know my sister like I know my own mind. You will never find someone's trusting her as kind. That one. Yeah. I think those are the two stanzas that are most debatable for Bridgerton. Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so do you want to wrap though do you, you want to do those or no so those would be the only ones i am strictly a singer i am a rapper in my mind child but i am not a rapper so no I okay so oh, okay we can talk about them <laughs> i will do okay all right you know what since i'm putting you on a spot i'll do it well no 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 let me let me let me tag in lady d lady d do you want to do it you know good and well that i don't rap either Singing okay. is the thing. Rapping oh. is not my game. Okay. Rapper in my mind, y'all. Okay. Oh, uh, see, I, I'm an old Kumo D rapper. I'm like, oh, you know, like I'm, I'm that type of rapper. <laughs> like I pity the fool. Like, yeah, that. But <laughs> I'm gonna do it only because I'm gonna ask you to do something. So, all right, shit. I should have probably listened, but uh, I'm gonna do my second. Ready? Get it. Number one, I'm a girl in the world in which my only job is to marry rich. My father has no son, so I'm the one who has the social climb for one. So I'm the oldest and the wittiest, and a gossip in New York is insidious, and Alexander is penniless. That doesn't mean I want him any less. All right. There we go. Bravo. Girl, you know what? Back in the day, there was a time before I hated Love Jones that I... <laughs> You know what? I'm not going to tell it myself. When I was I was wild in college and you had no idea. <laughs> and I am not telling on myself today. <laughs> Look. But uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So it is the fact that Angelica, as the oldest of three daughters, 
knew that she couldn't have someone that didn't have status. And in in our case for Bridgerton, it's that's not Angelica. It's actually the diamond, Edwina. She had to marry someone with status because even though she didn't know about the whole Sheffields thing, it was her role as the diamond that required her to marry well, marry the gentleman who had the highest rank of that season who was looking for a wife. Even though she was in the books, you know, Lady A, she was looking for a scholar. Right, exactly. But, you know, children know their place within the family, whatever that mm-hmm. place may be. You know, wow, Ed- Ed- Edwina's doing her job. Angelica was doing her job. And the job that we are meant to do does not always make us feel great. We're it just doesn't always align with who you are. Mm-hmm. I was also going to say that, you know, those responsibilities that are thrown on us don't allow us to be who we want to be or who we even are because our duty is family first. And that's what leads us into the second and really third because um, those stanzas with number three is... I know my sister like I know my own mind. And then it but then after it is but when I fantasize at night is Alexander's eyes. Hold on before you say anything, Lady A, do you wanna sing those? Or am I tagging in like Lady D? Not Lady H trying to have me sing the whole song, child. Just those two parts. Like I, I poorly rapped the first one. So if you wanna sing just oh, those. Crying. Just that. Just that. I don't know. Girl, now I gotta look up the lyrics. Wait okay. a minute. Wait a minute. All right, no. All right, here we go. I or I or I have Hamilton on my phone already up. I could just go back no, to that part. No, see the problem with that is um I don't know if I can use that without oh yeah, without trade eight permissions. Gotcha. Right, but she's singing it is something a little bit different. Gotcha. Yeah, we don't have money to pay Disney or or Lynn Moran. <laughs> you know what? And I bet you he'd be outside with a knife talking about, come outside! We ain't gonna jump you. Mm-mm. All right, I'm sending you an article that has them kind of broken down. But in the meantime, Lady D, uh, we said something about fantasizing. and you came off a of mute so fast, like... <laughs> I like, wait a minute, I got something. I told y'all this is too messy. You ain't supposed to be dreaming about your sister's husband. And you married. <laughs> well, she wasn't married yet in the play. No, no, no she did. Yet. She did get married in the play, and she was still fantasizing about him when she oh, came to New true, York true, yes. to visit. And she was trying to get him to come to the lake house. I know my sister like I know my own mind. You will never find anyone as trusting or as kind. If I tell her that I love him, she'd be silently resigned. He'd be mine. She would say, I'm fine. She'd be lying. But when I fantasize at night, it's Alexander's eyes. As I romanticize, what might have been if I hadn't sized him up so quickly? At least my dear lies as his wife. At least I keep his eyes in my life. Thank you. That was beautiful. Now, with that one, that stanza, 
that is more Kate, where she decided, even though I have this attraction to Antony, even though it's mutual, my sister is in love with him and she'll step aside and won't be happy. But I'm going to do this as Lady D was talking about the older sister's role in the family as protector. And if this is what's going to make her happy, because she said, Edwina, I love him. Girl, please. But she said it. So she was going to say, and, and we saw them in a bed fantasizing or what we assume was fantasizing and being drawn to each other. And even Antony told her, you can go back to India, but if I marry your sister, India won't be far enough. So in those, we said, okay, go ahead, Lady D. You got something to say about that. You look at the smile. I just, I just snickered because you know, he knows he was right. He knows y'all be, it wouldn't matter. She came to India. They went to India. She came to the UK. They going to end up in each other's bed, which is a no-no. So that's very true. So in other words, do we agree that Satisfied definitely shares DNA with the Sharma sisters storyline in Bridgerton? I'd say 100%. Most definitely. Okay. Well, now the punny question, like, are you satisfied or should we say anything else about those two comparisons or any other comparisons of Bridgerton and the zeitgeist other than the room where it happened? I think we've covered it. I mean, I definitely think that it shares, um, as you said, I love the way you put that, it shares DNA with those two. Um, I think, I mean, the story is very, very similar. Um, you know, this kind of love triangle and, and almost power struggle between the sisters, um, pining over someone, the kind of forbidden love that the older sister is not supposed to have and can't get away from. I mean, I think that's a pretty obvious, it, if you're not looking for it, you don't catch it. Um, but when someone brings it up, it's like, oh yeah, that that's definitely the same story. But unrequited love, I think it's always going to be a draw for folks. Um, I think it's a universal thing that a lot of people can understand and relate to. So I understand, but I definitely feel like, as you said, it shares DNA. Yeah, 100% agree with you, Lady H. Um, unrequited love, I think, happens more often than not. Mm-hmm. Well, I think the last thing is, because we do focus on Black women and romance, and we're ending in period pieces, and we're ending with Satisfied, um, which is the only peaceful and helpless that um, really talks about it in the play. There is a book called Hamilton's Battalion that you can find on Amazon, um, which essentially talks about at the end of the play where Eliza spends her time securing Alexander Hamilton's legacy. And within that imagining three authors wrote three love stories uh, about collecting stories from people who served with Alexander Hamilton. So one story talks about a woman who dressed up like a man to be in battle. Another story talks about two men who found love under the circumstances. And the third story talks about two women who found love uh, one who was doing the correspondence for Alex, um, for Eliza, and um, a seamstress whose grandfather served with Alexander Hamilton. So, uh, have you read that book or those stories, or um, can you imagine a story that you would have wanted told from 
within that time frame or outside of Hamilton? I have not had the opportunity to read um, those stories, but I am very intrigued. Um, I'm going to be on Amazon right after this episode, y'all, um, looking into that. I, I love the imagination, though. I mean, those stories, um, people finding love in that way at that time, that was revolutionary. I'm sorry, y'all, I had to say it. Revolutionary, but also like dangerous at that time. I mean, I don't know. I love the idea of people finding love in the most unlikely ways. That I love it. Is that not a romance novel? Obsessed. Yeah. And and Alyssa Cole, um, who is she writes contemporary as well as historical, she's often quoted as saying that she'll read a historical event and then say, but what if two people were kissing right now? So there it is, person to look at. And I think she actually wrote a story in Hamilton. Yeah, she did. She wrote a story in uh, Hamilton's Battalion. I love her. She is me. I am her. All right. Well, is there anything else that we want to say about Hamilton and uh, future castings or or its lasting legacy? I think, um, you know, we've talked about it at length. You know, Hamilton most definitely has its flaws. And we're not just talking about, of course, historical inaccuracies. Because for me, and I think for the average viewer, we're not looking at Hamilton to tell us the real story. I mean, you're not looking at this piece of art to tell you exactly what happened. You're you're looking at it to tell you a story. And I think afterwards you do your research and you kind of find out, okay, what really happened, whatever. And there's pieces of of it that are obviously true and other things that, you know, were just a choice made by uh, the creator. I think its legacy is that it showed that you can put um, different faces at the forefront and it can still be successful. I think that part of it is really, really important, um, especially to a performer like myself, because sometimes with the way that our world is set up, it's like people... uh, they're, they're afraid to do something different because they feel like it's not going to be successful. Now, are people still going to go to the quote unquote default? Yes, that's still happening. But Hamilton and many other projects um, have proven that you don't have to go to that quote unquote, right? Because I don't believe this, but default in order to maintain success, in order to achieve success, Um, that you can put different people out in the forefront who are brilliant, you can give them a chance and you're still going to make your money, okay, because we do live in a capitalist society, y'all. But not only that, make an impact and achieve success, not only monetarily, but in other ways. And I think that is incredibly important moving forward. Um, on Broadway right now, you have A Strange Loop, which is doing phenomenal, nominated for many, many Tonys with a mostly Black queer cast. I think that that is revolutionary. And I think that a show like that is able to be there not only because of the brilliance of the people creating it and the people that are performing in it, but because We've seen faces like this before. We've seen performers like this um, that can achieve success before. 
You know, someone had to pave the way. Someone had to show, hey, this can happen and everyone can relate and everyone can get into it um, and it can become a phenomenon. So I think for that, Hamilton has a really lasting legacy and I'm really grateful that it exists. Amen, Lady D. I mean, I don't have much else to say. I think that, um, you know, Hamilton, I think will be a lasting legacy just because at least in our country, we're supposed to be moving forward to be color conscious in things that we do and how we uh, treat people. You know, we we have laws. You guys know I work in housing, so we have, uh, you know, fair housing laws that are basically color conscious and how we treat and deal with individuals. And as a society, that's supposed to be the step that we are going to and just to be able to at some point just recognize us all as human beings who live, breathe, and eat um, the same and that we all have history and that we should be interacting together to make this world, you know, a place that we can all live, breathe, and eat in and have future generations to be in. So I think Hamilton gives us that um, small look into our future. And on that note, I say thank you all for joining us and we will see you next time. Bye everybody. Thank you for having me y'all. Oh, thank you for joining us. Bye. Oh yes, I love Hamilton. Yeah, I love Hamilton. Speaking of which, our first baseman on the Minnesota Twins, I have to plug there. Um, his name is Jose Miranda, and he's actually Lynn Manuel Miranda's cousin. So oh, nice. yeah. So apparently Lynn wants to come to a game at Minnesota at some point. Maybe we might actually I might get to meet him or something. Oh that would be fun. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. But yeah, sorry. Uh yeah, I've Hamilton's amazing. I've seen that a million times. Uh watched or listen, I listened to the soundtrack way before I even watched the television show, but or watched the, the movie. Um, but and I saw it in person too. I saw it on when when they came to Minnesota. Hi there, it's future Lady H with an editing note. In this episode, we talk about Walmart trademarking Juneteenth. While some of our points remain salient, we have an update. NBC Black reports. Social media users blasted Walmart last month when the company released a Juneteenth-themed ice cream with a flavor created by a New York-based company, Baochem. Spotting a trademarked symbol on the product's label, many of social media criticized both companies for trying to capitalize off Black culture. But what got missed in the uproar was a simple fact someone had already trademarked the term. Mario Bowler Sr. had toyed with establishing a business around Black food and culture for years and finally filed a trademark application for Juneteenth Joy last summer. We wanted to take a protective stance, establish the business, establish a brand where we could recycle dollars and also professionally develop some scholarships for students who want to attend HBCUs, said Bowler, an assistant director at Lincoln University, an HBCU in Pennsylvania. According to the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office, dozens of other filings using Juneteenth exist. 
However, most companies with Juneteenth trademark applications seem to be Black-owned businesses as opposed to Biochem, which prompted concern that Walmart's ice cream is an example of a company profiting off of Black culture. The Black community is often looked at by large corporations as cash cows, Takora Davis, a trademark attorney, told NBC News. If someone can exclusively have control over a particular product that obviously is going to be marketed primarily to the African-American community, that is going to be viewed as a huge financial incentive. Thanks for listening. We invite you to send us your feedback, musings, puns, and comments at watchwithyoupod at gmail.com. On Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook, watch with you pod.